For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey, y'all. This is Josiah Gray, and this is Half Street High Heat. Hope you enjoy today's episode. What's up, everyone? You're listening to another episode of Half Street High Heat. Nick and I have a very special episode for you today. But first, you guys can follow the show at Half ST High Heat. And make sure you guys check out our YouTube channel under the same name, Half ST High Heat. And we're also putting out blogs and other articles on our website as well. Make sure you guys check those out. Why is today's episode so special? We're joined by best friend of the podcast, Matt. Wyrick, you guys know the drill. Give him a follow on Twitter at by Matt Wyrick and head on over to NBC Sports Washington to check out all of Matt's latest pieces. Matt, how you doing, man? Doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's been a minute. It has been a minute, but you know, we we had to get you back on. It's draft week. And no, not fancy football draft week, which Matt lost, by the way, to us. Just want to point that out. Oh, it is God. MLB draft week, one of the best times of the year. And the Nats have the fifth pick, which makes it a little bit better. For most of the season, we've been hearing Kevin Prada to the Nats, Kevin Prada to the Nats, the catcher of Georgia Tech. But in the last week or so, I've been hearing a lot of different names in mock drafts. So just going to ask you, what are your expectations for the Nats on night one? Is Kevin Prada a national to the, uh, a lock or they starting to explore a couple other guys? Yeah, I don't think that Parada is necessarily a lock. I mean, we did hear Mike Rizzo say on the Junkies last week that just because you draft one position one year doesn't mean you can't draft it the next year. And he was referencing, you know, having A-Rod and Jeter on the same team. If, if the Yankees could make it work, anybody could make it work. And I think that he was kind of alluding to having Parada and K-Bet Ruiz, obviously both play catcher, but Prada's defensive profile also kind of points to maybe shifting over to first base at some point, which we all know that first base is a big hole in the Nationals farm system right now. So I think that that's something that would be explored should they draft him. You know, Mike Rizzo always goes best player available, uh, and then he kind of figures things out from there. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if then they did uh, consider Brooks Lee, the Cal Poly shortstop, if he were to fall to them. I think, you know, he plays shortstop just like Brady House, but like we just went over, you know, I, I think that he's somebody who can move around the diamond. He's athletic enough uh, where they'll fit him in wherever the Nationals need him. Uh, and some of these college bats, too, guys like obviously Drew, Drew Jones and Jackson Holiday are probably going to be off the board. But Tamar Johnson has a big name that's been jumping around. It seems like Elijah Green has kind of fallen off a little bit. He's fallen down to the late, you know, like more like 9, 10 range as opposed to top five. Uh, but he is a name that we've seen as high as number one throughout this entire season. So 
I think it's a pretty wide open draft at this point. I think the big wild card really is what the Orioles do at number one. That's really going to determine how everything goes, uh, whether or not they go for the, the surefire stud and Drew Jones, or they decide to go under slot uh, as GM Michael Elias has done throughout his tenure with both the O's and the Astros. Yeah. Uh, I know that the Orioles are getting a lot of buzz recently for, you know, not being an absolute uh, steaming dumpster for the first time in like five decades. Uh, but if they do not take Drew Jones at number one, then they're right back to that steaming dumpster fire. Cause that no, there's no such thing as a canvas prospect, but it's Drew Jones. Or he's that dude. He's yeah. That he's dude. that dude. He's got that dog. Yeah. Um, with the Nats, obviously, you know, we're focusing on the draft, but you have to keep an eye on the trade deadline. Just, two weeks after the draft. Is there any sort of strategy to the draft knowing the Nats will be sellers at the deadlines? Are they, you know, targeting arms in trades at the deadline and then focusing on bats, you know, during the draft, or is it just trying to get the best prospects, whether it be via the draft or trade just to rebuild that farm system? You know, I think that what happens in the draft could shape where they go at the trade deadline, what they decide to prioritize. I mean, the thing about the draft, though, is that you're going to be getting you know, a lot of guys who are a year or two at least away from the major leagues. Uh, even if you are focusing on college players, which is something that the Nationals have done in years past, uh, you're still looking at them have at least having to go to single A, work their way up double A, then triple A in order to get to the major leagues. That's going to take your year or two, whereas you can get guys who are in that double A, triple A range ready to make the jump to the major league. So you can stagger it where you go hitters in the draft and then try and get pitchers at the deadline. Or you could say, we're addressing the bottom half of our farm system here uh, in the draft. And then at the deadline, we're going to go for triple A, double A guys, which is kind of similar to what the nationals did last year. They got mostly guys who were double A or triple A trade deadline last year. I believe it was eight of the 11 guys or eight of the 13 that they got were double A or higher. So you know, that was a big focus for them was to try to restock the top half of their farm system. I don't know if the Nationals are going to be able to do that this year. They have fewer big names available, uh, honestly, fewer players available in general. I'd expect fewer moves uh, than we saw last year, just because, you know, there's just kind of less bodies for them to move around. Uh, you know, you got guys like Josh Bell and Nelson Cruz, a couple of relievers. Uh, but really, other than that, you know, there aren't really any names that are really jumping off the page. Cesar Hernandez will probably garner some buzz, but you know, Eric Fetty, Yadiel Hernandez, uh, Tanner Rainey, Kyle Finnegan. I, I'm not sure if those guys are necessarily going to be moved at this point. They certainly are candidates to go, uh, but the Nationals would really have to be going full out fire sale if we saw more than one of those guys off the board. Yeah, and, you know, talking about some of these guys, is there anyone on this team that projects a decent return besides Josh Bell? You know, you look around some of the dudes that Mike Rizzo brought in, to be flipped at the deadline and they're all having career terrible years. Um, looking at Cesar Hernandez, he's five for his last 51. He's hitting under 200 in his last 30 games. Nelson Cruz's power has disappeared. A lot of the guys have been terrible. Does anyone project to get a ser- serviceable return outside Josh Bell? Cesar doesn't have a yeah, home you run know, either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that there's, Anyone really that, you know, is going to command a top 100 prospect. I mean, to be frank, that's really just not what rentals get these days. I wouldn't put it past Mike Rizzo to turn Josh Bell into a top 100 player just because this market really does favor sellers this year, especially with expanded playoffs. There's just more teams in it. Uh, So fewer sellers, fewer stars that are on the the block. You know, Brian 
Reynolds uh, of the Pirates just got hurt, placed on the injured list today. So and that's one fewer player that might be available. Bell seems like the surefire top hitter that's going to be there, especially considering he hits from both sides of the plate. I think there's going to be a lot of teams interested. Mike Rizzo might be able to get a top 100 prospect, but I think the, the wild card here could be Carl Edwards Jr., uh, who not only is signed for this year, but because the Nationals brought him up one day uh, too late, he actually accrued not enough service time this year for a full year, and the Nationals control him through next season. So with those two years of control, they could package him with Bell and maybe get a nice return there as a team. every team that's going for a playoff spot needs a bullpen arm. Uh, and somebody of Edwards Jr.'s history, who's also signed for two years, plus adding Bell into all of that, I think that might command a nice return. Not sure if that's exactly what Rizzo is going to do, but I think that Edwards Jr. is definitely a likely candidate to be moved either way. Just muted myself when I meant to unmute myself. Speaking of the deadline, uh, is Juan Soto doing the derby to increase his trade value? <laughs> Absolutely not. Juan Soto is not being traded. We know this. You know this. Mike Rizzo knows this. Juan Soto knows this. Scott Boros knows it. Apparently ESPN does not, but everybody else <laughs> seems to uh, at this point wouldn't expect him to be moved anytime soon. And I think it's much more likely that he is extended than not at this point. That's my hot take. I don't know. I've, I've seen some people on Twitter saying that if he turned down this offer that may or may not have existed, oh kind of seems God. like it didn't exist, that he should be traded. I, I don't know. Those are what the talking heads are saying. The talking heads, man. You got to watch out for those. <laughs> So yeah, while talk less. while we're while we're on the topic, the offer that was tweeted out this 425 13 year deal, does it actually exist? I'm not sure that it's that dollar figure, uh, but my understanding is that there was a second offer made. Um, it was declined, uh, and there hasn't been a firm third offer but we there's still negotiatings going back and forth and when i say back and forth i mean the scott boris way is to never counter it's just to wait for offers to come in and let teams bid against themselves so that's exactly what the nationals are doing right now they're going to juan soto saying is this good enough he's saying no and they're going back to the drawing board so you know obviously there's conversations to be had and, and talks are fluid things like that and it does seem like the Nationals are motivated to make a deal happen before a sale. And the Nationals apparently want to, the learners want to at least sell the team before the owners' meetings in November. Uh, so if theoretically, if that is when the sale is going to happen, then an extension would have to happen before that. So there seems to be a motivation to get it done. It seems like, you know, the price is higher with Soto signed than not. Uh, so that is, you know, I mean, at that point, it's really not the learner's money that they're negotiating with. Right. I mean, if they're going to them saying we can offer you all this and then immediately selling the team. It's really not for them to worry about. I don't think there's a certain threshold you can cross where all of a sudden Soto becomes more expensive than not. You know, he's going to prove his worth of that money with inflation, and everything else, especially being such a long deal. You know, whether it's four hundred twenty five million, four hundred fifty million, four seventy five, five hundred. He'll end up making that money back over the course of his career. I mean, we are seeing right now, this has been easily the worst season of Soto's career. And here he is, an all-star, ranked second among NL outfielders in OPS. I mean, and he's putting butts in seats. He's going to hit in the home run derby. He is 
you know, the face of the team. He's still in MLB commercials, despite the fact that the Nationals have the second worst record in baseball right now. I mean, that is the Soto effect, you know, and I think that you even take baseball out of it. He's going to be worth it in so many ways. So I, I think a deal does get done and I would not be surprised to see it happen before the end of the season. It's hard to tell what's exactly true. Obviously, like you said, there, you know, has been an offer. The dollar amount is, you know, unclear, you know, what that second offer provided, but there were kind of rumors and talk that Juan Soto was a little concerned about staying with the Nats for that long of a contract, you know, 13 years or whatever, more than a decade. And I don't blame him based on the current state of the Nats. Um, is there a world where we see a, a shorter term deal that gets him back on the market at still at age 28, 29, but, you know, extends his time in DC to give them a, a chance to get back to competitive or is Boris, I, I say Boris, cause obviously we know it's Boris is Boris definitely going for the record here. I mean, I don't know if he's necessarily going for the record, but he is going for uh, long-term security. You know, I don't think that Soto would be willing to take a two, three-year deal, buy out, you know, a couple of free agent years in exchange for setting an arbitration price. Because usually you do that when, you know, you, you expect to uh, make even more down the line. And yes, he could probably still sign a $300 million contract at uh, 28, but, you know, you factor in what he would be making in his age 26, 27 seasons. Before that, it probably doesn't equal the same amount, uh, you know, I just don't, I don't know if I see it. I mean, Soto doesn't seem to have that kind of loyalty to the organization, you know, not to say he's not loyal to the team, but certainly his, his comments saying earlier this year that he wanted to take things year by year and then eventually hit free agency, you know, with the arbitration system, it is kind of tilted in his favor, especially having been a super two player, he's on pace to set arbitration records at this point. So, you know, I, I if I were him, I would want to just keep going by arbitration you know, get my guaranteed dollars that way, because, you know, all you're doing is giving up free agent years at that point. Yeah. And why does it seem that they're more motivated to do it now before selling the team as opposed after? Well, I think it comes down to the learners. You know, uh, this is the learners final parting gift, you could say to the Nationals fans, kind of putting a bow on their legacy. You know, they, they always talked about how they never wanted to sell the team. They didn't want to move on, uh, you know, from the nationals. They wanted to own them for forever. And, you know, I can't get in the learners heads and tell you how they're thinking, but certainly it would mean a lot to nationals fans to have Soto locked up for long-term and for that to happen under the guide of the learners, uh, along with a world series title, you know, that would really cement their legacy in DC sports history. Uh, I do think though, that if a deal doesn't happen before the sale, that it would still be possible because you have a similar situation with the new owners coming in now the new owners have you know whoever they are are going to have pressure on them to sign soto and if you don't that's going to be your first move as owners is not signing juan soto and that's already going to put a stain on your legacy that you kind of have to overcome would make it much easier if you're able to sign him so i think honestly a, a sale either way could mean good things for signing juan soto the real wild card is as you mentioned is he willing to sign with a team where he is uncertain about who's going to be cutting his paychecks for the next 15 years. That is, is kind of the big question because if he's not willing to do that, then everything's off the table. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, once we find out who the new owners are, that'll determine a lot, whether it's, you know, someone like Steve Cohen or someone possibly like Ted Leonsis, who 
you know, isn't necessarily a bad owner, but def- definitely a different style than someone like Steve Cohen, who's the, obviously the most recent new owner in baseball. But uh, what is what is Ted Leonsis's calling card as an owner? That's true. That's signing true. homegrown stars. That's yeah. been his, his big MO. So, you know, that at least would bode well. But with him being stretched pretty thin, owning two other teams, he'd obviously be partnered with somebody else. Would there Paying be Bradley Beal seventy yeah. million dollars a year? Um, and Alex sure. Ovechkin's making record <laughs> amounts as well. I mean, for hockey players, but still, right. you know, it's a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and obviously, he would have to inherit Steven Strasburg and uh, Patrick Corbin. So, <laughs> and Max Scherzer, who's oh uh, yeah, for another and Rafael Soriano. I mean, That's the list right. goes on and on and on. <laughs> uh, but speaking, you know, it, it does. Uh, you know, the, the new ownership, I should say, uh, will have an impact on this, but it was recently announced that Davey and Mike Rizzo had their options exercised for the 2023 season, which basically just prevents, I mean, they kind of entered the season as a lame duck, but it prevents, uh, you know, them being a lame duck through the remainder of the season. Um, what kind of job security, if any, are we talking about with uh, both Davey and Rizzo? Are they tied together as it's always been assumed? Or, you know, now that they've won a World Series, do they get a little bit of a longer leash? Or is, you know, do you think a new owner is going to completely clean house? I think it all comes down to what the new owner's expectation level is going to be for 2023. You know, are you looking to see tangible steps forward in the winning department? Or are you okay with another bottom five losing season, but we continue to accumulate young talent? Because if the expectations are the same, as they were this season, then I would expect, you know, for them to sign probably Davey and Rizzo to a two plus year deal uh, just to give them some more time to get things through. Or if you're saying, look, I'm ready to pump money into this team now, you know, let's sign a big free agent this off season, extend Juan Soto and see if we can at least finish like third next year and move on from there. You know, that's going to then change things because if they have a bottom five season again, then they're both lame ducks, as you said, and the new owner who inherited both of these guys, can then just move on. But, you know, if he's willing to see this rebuild through the longer lens, uh, you know, having Juan Soto, especially locked up would make that easier to do, uh, you know, getting through the Strasburg and Corbin contracts, all that things like that. Uh, then you might say, okay, why don't we have the guys who originally put us in this direction of a rebuild to keep it going, see it through and see if they can complete the transformation back to the vendor. So switching gears a little bit, Juan Soto was announced to be in the home run derby, um, but he's the only national going right now to the all-star week. Josh Bell was snubbed. Do you think after players start dropping out that Josh Bell gets in? I think that he's got to be on the short list. You know, I'm, I'm seeing around the league, you know, national pundits, things like that, talking about snubs. You know, I'm, I'm seeing Austin Riley's name tossed around a lot, you know, in the pitching department, Carlos Rodon uh, is mentioned uh, a lot, you know, two guys I think that will probably be at the top of a lot of people's lists, but there are five Braves already going. You know, I think that Bell, you know, as I tweeted out earlier today, he has the highest OPS plus uh, of any player not named to the all-star game, minimum 300 player appearances this year. I mean, that's pretty ridiculous. Uh, You know, you see so many guys with worse numbers than him this year. First base was was pretty tough to crack. Um, you know, Freddie Freeman didn't even make it, which I thought was kind of surprising, just given his pedigree uh, and everything like that. And the fact that it's going to be in Los Angeles, I thought that he might have a good chance of making it. But 
Um, you know, I think he's, he's got to be got to be on the short list. It just really depends on how many guys get hurt, whether they're on the infield. I thought it was very surprising, though. William Contreras being named the NLDH in Bryce Harper's place. I mean, I, I didn't really understand that at all. I, if you, they guess they just had to pull from the DH pool in order to fill that spot. But I, I they wonder, wanted the storyline with the yeah, Contreras of having brothers. him with, with the Contreras brothers. I, you know, that's, that's a cool story and everything. But to me, Josh Bell or Austin Riley easily deserved it over William Contreras for the, D, for the DH. Now they don't really play DH. So I guess that's, you know, what it came down to either that or the family thing. But, you know, if, if we're going, I, if in my opinion, if you're filling a DH spot, you should be able to pull from any position. That's just a no brainer. Yeah, that doesn't really make much sense to me. But anyways, speaking of Josh Bell, though, uh, it, it seems like even Rizzo's kind of saying it now and alluding to what's going to come in the next couple of weeks with Josh Bell's inevitable trade. Uh, just want to get your prediction. Where do you think Josh Bell will call home next? My prediction, I've been, I've been saying it a while, uh, is the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, that, that lineup right there, very potent for sure, uh, but also very right-handed heavy. Uh, we saw them trade for Randall Grichik at the start of the uh, year, or was it Rymel Tapia? Yeah, they traded Randall Grichik for Rymel Tapia to try and get a lefty uh, in that lineup. He had really hasn't panned out for them. They just haven't been able to produce any lefties. Bell, uh, of course, has been hitting a ton of home runs uh, from the left side this year, so he would really just lengthen their lineup and this particularly uh, against right-handed pitching, just give them an extra weapon. Of course, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is entrenched at that first base spot, uh, but you can slide him right into DH and maybe give Vladdy a few extra days off here and there. Uh, and the two of them side by side in the lineup, George Springer's an all-star this year. I mean, it's, it's so deep and it would just be a lot of fun to see him on that team. So I would love to see that. And I think that that's probably the most likely uh, team to get him at the deadline. We will take uh, Nate Pearson. Thank you. <laughs> I think Mike uh, Rizzo would too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take anyone. This farm system sucks. <laughs> um, so I got a question for both of you guys. Oh. Yes. You know, right. this, we're, we're going to mix it up here. Do you think, or let me, let me rephrase, do you agree with the following statement? The Nationals have the longest return to contention in all major sports. Longest return to contention. Hmm. I'm going to say no, only because I, maybe it's just wishful thinking, but if a new owner comes in and wants to win right away, which it seems like most new owners across all sports do, like you look at the Carolina Panthers, Tepper's, you know, acquiring a new quarterback every single month to try to win there. You saw what Steve Cohen did. Granted, that's the New York market, so it's a little bit different. Um, it seems like new owners more often than not try to win. And with the Nats actively being up for sale, I think they're probably still ahead of someone like Cincinnati or um, Oakland, even though those farm systems are better than the Nats. So I guess it's just wishful thinking, but I'll say no. I would I would say no. The Houston Rockets are a team that jump out to me. Their teams, their young core is, is exciting, but very, very young. Um, yeah, the Panthers are, I, well, the Panthers are trying to contend, but I think they're just going in the wrong direction. Um, 
So I, I wouldn't really pick them over the Nats. I think the A's uh, just don't really have anyone in the major leagues. That excites me. Um, That's true. Sean Murphy is like a cool defensive catcher. He's like the only other guy other than K-Bert who's uh, picking off runners, which is cool. And he um, had the uh, the butt. The butt meme. hit by pitch. Yeah. yeah. But like Christian Pache is like that supposed to get me excited. You know, at least the Nats have Ruiz, Gray. So, I mean, Soto alone is worth more than the entire Oakland A's roster and yeah. farm system. So like Paul Blackburn's like a legitimate all-star and I have no idea who he is. <laughs> He's been a fine streamer in fantasy this year. I'll, this I'll say that. This but true. Uh, yeah, I, I'd have to say there's, a, there's probably a couple of teams. I, I really think that the nationals are still in a place right now to do a reboot over a rebuild. Um, oh, I, I don't, uh, that I, I don't agree with either. I strongly disagree with that. Because I'll, I'll, because I'll hold my comments for the end. <laughs> they're taking new ownership and there's going to be new money coming in. All right. And I think that that's going to equate. Look, the nationals for years weren't producing people in the farm system. All they had to they do still was come up with a couple of young players who were controllable and then fill in the gaps with free agency. They did it, you know, trading for Gio Gonzalez. They did it signing Max Scherzer, signing Daniel Murphy. You know, they, they really found ways trading for Trey Turner. You know, they could get creative and fill in the gaps. They just needed a couple of young pieces to keep at least part of the payroll down so they could fill it up, you know, with high spending. And if we are having a new ownership group come in, there's going to be high spending again. How quickly it is, that's, you know, still up in the air. But I think that they're trending toward, you know, Josiah Gray and Kaber Ruiz reaching star status in two years. That's at least the goal, right? you know, with what you're hoping for out of these guys and what they've been showing so far, certainly they are on that trajectory, whether they get there is another story, but you know, you could say that in two years, that's going to be Patrick Corbin's last year of his contract. Soto, obviously that'll be his walk year as well. Uh, hopefully he's signed at that point, but you can then sign, you know, a free agent to a, a long-term deal and say, okay, we'll just eat the extra salary with Corbin this year. And then he's off the books. We don't have to worry about it after that. Yeah, so, I get. I mean, I get what you're saying, but I, I think, like, even right now, like there, there's hope for someone like a Cade Cavalli to come up. I'm not as high uh, on Cade Cavalli as a lot of people are. I think they just have been so starved for a top prospect for so long. I mean, it's been what since Giolito, so like six years since we've had like a highly touted pitching prospect. So, I think people are just getting a little too hyped up for. Cade Cavalli and you know I I caution comparing any team to the Dodgers but like the Dodgers notorious for spending money and just adding money and you know not really caring but they have so many homegrown guys too like even the Red Sox like the Red Sox always have a high payroll but they have a ton of homegrown guys too that were controllable like you were saying and the Nats just don't like they got Josiah Gray and Cabo Ruiz like you said but that was from the Max Scherzer trade they don't have another Max Scherzer to trade so unless they start developing guys, which has been an Achilles heel for basically the entire tenure of Mike Rizzo, like if we're being honest, he lucked into genera- generational talent with Steven Strasburg and Bryce Harper and Anthony Rendon. Like, I mean, it's been almost a decade since a, a true prospect has panned out, like really in any regard for the Nats. Like for sure. hasn't even panned out, didn't even pan out for the Nats. He panned out with the White Sox. I mean, look at Austin both. Like there was that, I, I believe it was Jesse Doherty with that, 
weird story about the Nats. Not weird, but you wrote it, but just like the Nats thought process was weird. They wanted to hold on to Austin both forever because they knew there was something there. They just couldn't unlock it. He gets claimed by the Orioles and all of a sudden he's like swing and miss type guy to a T. It's just, you know, a lot of problems with the Nats and I, I don't have high hopes that this won't be a long process. I, I just would say that if you're going full scale Orioles style rebuild, obviously which they it, are, which it looks like I they're, think they need to. That's the thing is like, do you go all in on that? It doesn't seem like the Nationals want to do that. And so when you're not going full Oriole style rebuild, you don't need to get the number one farm system in baseball. That's really not your goal at the end of the day, because you're not going to take enough time to really do that. Unless of course you're the Dodgers who I think baseball America ranked them number one coming into this year, which is just absolutely absurd. Uh, But you know, most teams, if they are doing some kind of rebuild, rebuild, retool, whatever, you're just trying to get to the, like the top 15, you know, maybe top 10, uh, and then immediately go from there. I think the Nationals are far away from that at this point. Uh, they need to draft very well, which is something they haven't done. Uh, they need guys like Brady House and Dalen Lyle, who were the top two picks last year, to, to come through. You know, obviously Lyle's missing the season. So when he comes back, that's going to be a big thing for the Nationals. You know, we see Cole Henry breaking through this year. He was a second-round pick. You know, those are the kinds of picks that the Nationals need to be hitting on that they haven't been hitting on in the past. Uh, so if they can just hit on one or two guys in a big way, that really could solve a lot of problems and allow them to, you know, really skip having to go full Orioles, full Royals, or, you know, whatever example you want to throw in there, uh, as opposed to, you know, kind of taking this mini rebuild that a lot of teams that are in big markets can afford to do. And the Nationals, you know, number seven market in baseball right now. Uh, so not necessarily a huge market, but they're not a small market either. You know, they're, they're just behind places like Philadelphia. Um, you know, Chicago's a little bit up higher. Uh, I want to say Boston's like fifth. So, you know, they're not too far behind those, those markets in terms of, you know, the dollar value that it's bringing in. They could afford, especially with new owners, to fill in the gaps of the free agency. It just kind of depends on what that new ownership group's priority is going to be. Fair. It's just they're the second worst team in baseball right now with the second worst farm system in baseball. So it's like, I don't think it's necessarily going to be quick, but Ryan, Ryan, you, you have thoughts to share. What, what do you Yeah. Have? So I was, I was just sitting here listening. Um, and th- th- you guys made some interesting points. So you mentioned new owners, historically speaking, this takes into consideration every single MLB team that has been sold during a rebuild historically speaking, it adds an average of three years to the rebuild. So you got to take that into consideration as well. My, my answer is yes. They have by far and away the longest road back to contention in all of sports, football and basketball. You get one player, you're set. Um, you look at that, you have to add that into consideration. They don't really have a young core. They have Juan Soto. That's it. Unfortunately for who you, sorry, for gray, he's not in the right franchise to help him. He has the hardest fix in baseball. He is a bad fastball. He's with the team that cannot develop pitching for its life. This is the team that didn't want to trade Austin both because they thought a smart team could fix him. So yep. you add that into consideration, the bad farm system also, but for starting pitching, they're 30 in ERA 30 in whip 30 in walks per nine. 22nd in K per nine, 29th in hits per nine, 30th in home runs per nine. 
that is a very, very either record-breaking expensive fix or you're looking at least five years to fix that. Offense sucks. Offense is an easier fix. That's fine. I think this pitching staff alone is going to take at least five years to fix. And I think they're on a longer path than the Orioles were when the Orioles decided to tear it down. That's just me. You know, you make a lot of good points. And I'm not saying that the odds are necessarily in their favor. Never tell me the odds. But, but also, we, we talk about the Nationals' rotation from 2012 to 2019 as one of the best groups in all of baseball. And only two of those guys that pitched consistent innings throughout that entire span were homegrown. And that was Steven Strasburg and Jordan Zimmerman. Now, they were both important members of those rotations. Don't get it wrong. But at the same time, you know, we're talking about, you know, top five ERA, top five strikeout, top five whip, you know, all, all the numbers across the board for that span. And it was almost entirely filled out by free agents. I'm not saying that the Nationals, you know, can all of a sudden just turn around their development and be, you know, the, the greatest, you know, developing pitching organization out there past the Guardians, all that kind of stuff. And Kate Cavalli, Cole Henry, Mitchell Parker, Josiah Gray, and Yohan Adone is the future rotation. Not all those guys are going to hit, but you just need one or two. Fill in the rest as long as you have the deep pockets. Now, the Steven Strasburg contract, the Patrick Corbin contract, they're there, and that certainly complicates things. But, you know, like I said, Patrick Corbin's only got three years left on his deal, two and a half, where we're at right now. And you could justify in two years signing another contract you know, because you know that Corbin's going to come off the books in a season after that, it is possible. I'm not saying that I think it's necessarily going to happen. I'm just saying that the Nationals plan at least has direction and I can see a path to it working, but they've overhauled their player development staff. They've got a whole new, you know, they've got new people in analytics this year uh, that were added in uh, after kind of shaking things up over the off season. This is a new group in a lot of ways. Still got Mike Rizzo at the top. So, you know, take that as you will, but there is a new group in a lot of ways. That hurt your argument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hear what but you're he saying. But he can make good trades. <laughs> yeah, Mike Rizzo like, fleeces. We all know that. That's true. He has, I mean, that's the one thing he's done well and, you know, has done better than most GMs across baseball. But, you know, you mentioned their plan to me, you know, and I'm just a podcast host. I'm not like, you know, involved with the team or anything, but, you know, as a fan from the outside looking in, it doesn't look like they have much of a plan. Like you look at their off season plan, you know, they signed Nelson Cruz who, you know, I, I, I get the thought process behind Nelson Cruz, especially with the addition of the DH to the NL, but he was also what 42 at the time you signed him. Like there was just as there's probably more of a chance that we were going to get the Nelson Cruz we've got where he's just completely regressing due to age, not even due to injury and, you know, not going to get a return as he was, you know, panning out and turning into what, uh, what the twins did last year, flipping him to Tampa and getting a good prospect for him. Like, and and that was it. They didn't get anyone else, even on a short-term deal. Like they could have been in on a Carlos Correa and, you know, granted that may have not worked out for the twins remains to be seen, but you know, they could have been in on all those other, all those other short-term deals to trade at the deadline to help restock the farm. Like they didn't really do anything. So to me, it, it seems like their plan is 
hey, we need to do something we haven't done well in 10 years, and that's develop prospects. Like, that's not much of a plan to me. Granted, they, you know, overhauled their development system and and, and all that stuff. So the, there's steps in place, but it just seems like a kind of a stretch. Like, there's no, you know, concrete, fluid plan. But you have to also have to look at this through the lens of the learners are not spending money. They haven't signed a yeah. multi-year deal in two years. It's clear well, that the pandemic affected their spending. And, you know, I, I would have I, like I was very staunchly that uh, saying that they needed to sign somebody for the rotation. Two of the guys that I talked about at the at the time were Andrew Heaney uh, and Jose Quintana. Andrew Heaney has been hurt a lot this year, but he has been very good for the Dodgers when healthy. Quintana's a hard, Quintana's hard commodity. might be the number one pitcher on the trade market right now. You know, it, it, the Nationals literally signed nobody to the rotation aside from NRIs. You know, they, they brought in Aaron Sanchez and Anibal Sanchez. Uh, you know, not really uh, bringing in any kind of major league deal, anything like that. Um, but I do want to point to an example. The Boston Red Sox had the fourth worst record in baseball at the end of the 2020 season, uh, 25th ranked farm system in baseball. And the last two years, they've been a competitive team. So there is a path to do it, but you have to spend money. You know, this Red Sox organization, you know, is one that is not afraid to make big swings, you know, and, and bring in big guy, big name guys, things like that. So, you know, the Nationals have to do that. Like you said, they didn't really do anything this past offseason. Nelson Cruz being the one guy you're bringing in to flip. Yeah, that really wasn't going to jump off the page for a lot of guys. Were the Nationals a very enticing landing spot for free agents? Probably not. Could they have maybe gone in on a guy like Correa if they were willing to open up the checkbook? Sure. But it seems like with the cash constraints that they had, at this point, Cruz was like the best option they that at least Mike Rizzo could get. Uh, and, you know, I think that we have to wait and see what this team looks like under the new ownership to really decide where they're going to be able to go from here. But with new owners coming in, let's call it like late November, do you think like, you know, there's going to be time for the new owners to get right to work, you know, with this next crop of free agents? Or are we pushing it again to the 2024 class and it just – you know, is pro- prolonging this rebuild. I just don't have many high hopes that this is going to be a reboot. I think it's a full-fledged rebuild. But that's this offseason is really critical. There's no doubt. And, and the timing of that, as you said, is going to be huge. I think that, you know, the deal would be in place long before the new owners actually took over. So obviously those conversations between the incoming ownership and Mike Rizzo as to what their budget would look like, things like that, those would happen. You know, I, I don't think that, you know, the Nationals are just going to be left in the dark as to how much they can spend going into the off season, there's going to be a plan in place. Um, it's just a question of how much money is really going to be available to them. They're just going to move the team to Vegas. <laughs> Not again, man. We can't lose a <laughs> DC baseball again. You know, sorry. I just want to comment on one more thing. I was looking something up. The, the Red Sox have like nailed that retool. Yeah. That's formula. not a, a good comp either. Cause they, but that's a good blueprint it. to follow. Oh, yeah, no, for but sure, they, for they sure. already but messed they... up. They're already behind if that was their blueprint. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the Red Sox came in fifth that year, but they won 78 games. This team isn't going to sniff 78 wins for a long time. Like, the, the Red Sox fifth place roster then is still miles better than the roster in the current state of the team that the Nats have now. Yeah, because they still had Bogarts, Endeavors, and uh, who else would they have had? I don't Ortiz. Know. Oh yeah, Ortiz would have been on those teams. Chris Sale. 
Yeah. Oh, they had Mookie at the time too. Granted, they yeah, traded him for the him. second for the second one, but they did one before that when they won 2018. I think 2017 they really sucked. And there's Jeter Downs just yesterday coming up and getting an RBI hit against the Yankees. Hundred percent, hundred percent getting Donovan traded uh, against the Mets next year. Just you wait. think Jeter no. Downs is getting traded? Oh, hundred percent. They're just showcasing him for teams to want him. They're for, for Josh sure going to trade him. <laughs> they're they're going to make a go. move for Josh Bell. I guarantee it. I will I'd trade you Josh Bell and Patrick Corbin for Jeter Downs. Here, here, here's the thing. Um, and it'll be the show. I traded Patrick Corbin for Jeter Downs. So Mike Rizzo, I know you're listening to this. Um, make the call. <laughs> make it. Make it. He'll do it. Well, that was that was a fun discussion. That yeah, that was a good one. I really know, enjoyed that. It was it was good to find the way a fun discussion when your team's dog water. All right, so same time in two months. Oh, hold on. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Okay, so today is July 11th, 2022. We're going to remember this conversation, and we're going to revisit it next year, July 11th, 2023. After I have my two free Slurpees, we're going to get on, and we're going to talk about it and revisit this conversation Wait, and see which one? direction. Oh, please, multiple 7-Elevens. Oh, smart man. <laughs> <laughs> I only got one. I'm a, I'm a um, sucker. Yeah. <laughs> Follows the rules. This guy. <laughs> there was um there was a woman getting six Slurpees at the 7-Eleven I went to today. Like she was just filling them up and I respected the hustle. That's a power so move. great. I honestly Sigma. Do you remember <laughs> when they did the 7-Eleven, like free Slurpee day, but you brought in your own container and people yes. bringing in <laughs> like kiddie <laughs> pools yeah. and like coolers? Yeah. yeah. Whoa, genius. I think, that oh. was, uh, I think that was when Vine was huge because I'm pretty sure I remember Vines of like 60 different things that people were bringing in. I love it. I miss that. All right, I respect the hustle. Good times. I like TikTok more. It's well, funny because half of TikTok is just Vine compilations, at least on my. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know what you're getting. My my, yeah. my TikTok is like the depths of hell. I yeah, can't even explain it. Some sketchy shit. <laughs> I like send the TikTok to my buddy, and he's like, "This is the, what he's like. What what is this? Like, I don't, what, I don't what even the know." What of it. TikTok did you crawl into to find this video? Ryan's in the one percent. It's not the one percent he wants to be. In. It's a one percent. <laughs> <laughs> well matt it's always always a pleasure having you on thank you so much for joining us uh matt by the way is verified on twitter i don't know if you guys knew that um not very good at fantasy football though so don't not very, not very good at fantasy football you know the draft is coming up i'm actually i'm so prepared for this draft it's not even funny Chris Olave is not going to be that good dude dude chris Olave come off of it that, dude. i've already got the jersey in route <laughs> <laughs> you got the ghost of Mark Ingram. <laughs> you got LASIK James Winston, so who knows? We almost got David Johnson. That would have been. Oh, <laughs> man. And now we're cooking. Now that defense, though, come on. Yeah, Honey so you'll Badger? beat the Bucks. You'll have one Thursday night football win over the Bucks, and that'll well, that, be your Super just, Bowl. That's a given. That <laughs> that'll be your Super Bowl. <laughs> And then we'll get our weekly. Is Tom Brady finished? Even though he's a forty-five-year-old man. <laughs> well, they're trading him at the deadline. The Bucks signed him to trade him at the deadline. That's true. Stock up their farm system. 
he's good. He's, he's going to the Nats. Reacquired Tom Brady. They had the rights. The catcher, what a story. To Tom Brady. <laughs> All, right. All right, I'm going to wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get out of here. All right. Once again, everyone, you guys can give Matt a follow on Twitter at by Matt Wyrick. Make sure you guys head over to NBC Sports Washington and make sure you follow the show on Twitter at half ST high heat. Matt, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks, guys. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team is mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls, so that the commentator who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later. Dawn, well, you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go, Nats We've got a game to play We're gonna win today Let's go know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.